Welcome to Broad Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with a worldwide impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Thanks for listening to this Bible lesson. So the agenda, you may be wondering some things about Barah Ministries. Who is the God we worship? What is our source of truth? And who is our enemy? And I agree with the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. He says, I, Peter, consider it right, believers in Christ, as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling, my physical body, to stir you up by way of reminder. So we start every lesson this way. We start every lesson reminding ourselves who our God is, reminding ourselves what our source of truth is, and reminding ourselves who our enemy is. So who is the God we worship? We worship a triune Godhead. There's one God who expresses himself as three separate and distinct persons, co-equal, co-infinite, co-eternal, and that's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We worship God the Father, who is the author of the Godhead's plan for all creatures. What did God the Father do for believers in his Son? Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 say this, God the Father rescued us believers in Christ, from the domain of darkness that we were born into. And he transferred us into the kingdom of the Son God the Father loves unconditionally, the Lord Jesus, the Christ. He transferred us into his kingdom of light. And in Jesus, we believers in union with the Lord Jesus Christ have redemption, which is the forgiveness of sins. We worship God the Son, who we call the Lord who volunteered to execute God the Father's plan for mankind. Jesus Christ is God, just as he claims to be. In John chapter 6, verses 38 and 39, he says this, For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have come down from heaven. Yet there are none of the pretender gods who have ever claimed that they came down from heaven. I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me, and him who sent him is God the Father. John six thirty nine. This is the will of God the Father who sent me, that all those that he has given me, and that's a reference to believers in Christ, I lose nothing, but I raise them all up in resurrection from the dead on the last day. The Lord Jesus Christ promises. The Lord Jesus Christ will deliver. There's one and only one way to heaven. You invest your faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ, not just by saying, well, I believe there's a God. I believe there's a pencil. Yeah, but is the pencil going to save you? Just because you believe there is a God doesn't mean that you're counting on that God to save you. So you invest your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, asking him to save you. Why? Because you can't save yourself. Jesus is the Christ, and the Christ means he is the Jewish Messiah. And by believing in him, you instantly have the resurrection life. Instantly, right at that second. Eternal life is the resurrection life, and you have it in his name, and you can't lose it. We worship God the Holy Spirit. He's our mentor and teacher. He's a guide who is the rudder of the Christian life. The Lord Jesus Christ made a promise to his apostles in Acts chapter 1, verse 5. He said this, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with God the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So as believers in Christ, we are baptized by God the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, which means that we are placed into a permanent union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You can get baptized by getting dunked in water or getting oily water poured into your eyes if you want to, but that doesn't do a single thing to save you. But it is you believing in the Lord Jesus Christ for your salvation and letting the Spirit baptize you and place you into union with Christ And that's a union you can't ever get out of. And no one will ever snatch you out of God's hands. And that's something that you can really count on. Now, at Barah Ministries, what's our source of truth? Well, as Christians, we have the opportunity to develop a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the entire Godhead through the study of the Word of God, the Bible. The Bible is our source of truth. It is the least read bestseller in human history. There's so many people who have Bibles in their homes and they never open them up. Every time they stay in a hotel, there's a Bible in the drawer and they never go in the drawer and take a look at it. The Bible has been attacked by individuals, by those calling themselves scholars, by philosophers, by world leaders, by governments, by laws with the intent to dismiss the Bible's importance and to destroy its very existence. And none of this has been nor will it ever be successful. Yet, how many people are saying, oh, the Bible's just a book, and it's just a bunch of guys who wrote their opinion. No, it's not. The Bible is a supernatural work, protected by an omnipotent God who has all the power, especially the power to protect his thinking from infiltration by the enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 tells us exactly what the Bible is. In the Bible, we believers in Christ have the mind of Christ. We have his exact thinking and writing. How fortunate we are to have that be the case. The Bible guides us, inviting us to a life beyond our wildest dreams when we obey its precepts. We teach the word of God here at Barah Ministries from God's perspective and not from man's perspective because man's perspective in $3.40 will get you a cup of Starbucks coffee. Well, who is our enemy? God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world for a finite period of time. He is the enemy of believers in Christ as well. With eight words, Satan rejected a relationship with the sovereign God of the universe. Isaiah chapter 14, verse 14. I, Satan, will make myself like the Most High. I will make myself 
like the Most High. That's what every religious person is saying. I will make myself saved. No, you won't. Satan committed figurative suicide by rejecting a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan is a great counterfeiter. And the thing that was stupid about him doing it is that he was the anointed cherub who covers. He was the bodyguard for the Lord. He had everything. He was, he's gorgeous. He's brilliant. He's blinged out. He had everything. He was the, the ruler of all the angels. And he gave that all up because he was jealous of the Lord. So he's a great counterfeiter. And he could never be worthy enough to be God because he can't be counted on to do anything but what he does, which is evil. Yeah, nor would he ever do what God does for believers and unbelievers alike. He would never love anyone unconditionally. He would never forgive anyone. He would never give grace to people when they make mistakes. Instead, he is a destroyer, a deceiver, and an accuser of the brethren, not worthy of being listened to. So we need to reject his temptations. Well, today's Bible lesson is an introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. An introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. So the next biblical book we'll be studying is one we have studied before. It's Paul's letter to the Romans. It will be a great study. It'll be great to study this letter again. First, because we're more mature than when we studied the first time. I know I am. We're not going to take seven years to study it. Second, because studying it again lends insight we may have missed the first time because of the pastor. And third, Romans is likely the most important letter in the New Testament. Through it, the Lord uses the Apostle Paul to introduce himself and his graceful approach to the salvation of the human race. Well, let's, let's hear some music. Paul's letter to the Romans carries the gospel message to the world, and God makes it clear who the gospel message is for. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, to be crucified on a cross so that he word, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but has eternal life. Here's June Murphy to reinforce the Lord's message in her song, Whosoever.
It's a choice you have to make. No mistake. Salvation's June, whosoever is God's philosophy, open arms for everybody. Let us pray. We're grateful, Heavenly Father, for the privilege of studying your absolute truth, the Word of God. Father, thank you for the Bible, because it provides us with spiritual nourishment that feeds our souls and our spirits. Thank you that the Bible is as relevant today as when it was written over 2,000 years ago. Thank you for protecting the Bible from countless infiltration attempts by liars who seek to destroy its message. Thank you for sending your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to save us. Thank you for a supernatural written work introducing the Lord, 
so we can get to know him intimately. He does not work in mysterious ways. And thanks thanks also for God the Holy Spirit who helps us understand biblical truth. Encourage us, Father, to schedule time every day to study the Word so our lives are edified by this daily routine. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. Today's Bible lesson, an introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. An introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. Well, on that last point in the prayer, daily Bible study is what I'm going to be encouraging from now on. I came into last week, one of the days I woke up, and I just felt completely disoriented. And I sat down and did two, to, two hours of Bible study, and all of a sudden my head was cleared out. It's just so funny how even taking one verse and just reflecting on it is something that can get your head straightened out right away. And I think all of us as believers in Christ need to start our day that way, that we schedule time for that and then we do it, and we make it a habit to do it so that we make it a habit to start every day by putting God's rudder on our lives. Well, an introduction to Paul's letter to the Romans. In many respects, first century Rome was a lot like the United States today. Rome, the Romans were an amazing culture, mainly because they had a great military. So they go around kicking everybody's butt. They take everybody's stuff. They bring all their leaders back to Rome and publicly execute them and keep all their stuff, divide up the spoils. But, uh, you know, the United States is a little more sophisticated than that, but not much. But it was an amazing culture, and there was a Latin expression about what they wanted, which was Pax Romana, which is the peace of Rome. They wanted everything to be calm and cool and collected, except when they're on their military expeditions. So that's why... The Jews were such a problem for them because the Jews were always sponsoring these uprisings and the Romans would send in a prefect into the areas where the Jews were uprising to calm everybody down because they wanted everything to just be peaceful. And for well over a thousand years, they were the culture. And funny thing is that, that as we move to the end times, everything will move back to Rome as the center of it. So in the United States, we have everything at our disposal, yet we're one of the most corrupt societies on the planet. And so it was with Rome. And this letter to the Romans is an arrow from the Lord that was fired directly into the belly of a beast because as cool as Rome was, it was that corrupt as well. It was filled with sexual immorality and idolatry. The sexual immorality was pederasty, that that is Roman leaders having sex with little boys, and orgies, and I don't think I have to tell you what an orgy is. The idols were false gods. And today, uh, you know, in, in the United States, we see the sexual immorality and the transgender revolution. And by the way, what, what we're going through in the transgender revolution is nothing compared to how bad it was in Rome. Nothing. And the false gods are more subtle. The false gods in Roman times were they worshipped Zeus as the king of the gods and Mars as the 
the god of war and Venus as the god of love. They were a polytheistic culture. Now, the largest and most influential false god in our time is social media. And people worship it. Think about it. There is nothing people focus on more today than social media. Imagine if we used our focus for studying the Bible as intensely as we invest our time and focus perusing social media on our smartphones. We'd be biblical scholars in a week. That's one of the things that's just amazing to me, that as you go through uh, malls or the airport or whatever, you see 20-year-old girls, and they are just staring at that phone with such an intensity of focus, and what, what are they getting out of it? See, if you give that kind of focus to something, you ought to get something out of it. Well, what are they getting out of it? They're getting brainwashed by China through TikTok. They're being taught not to read. They're being taught not to get vocabulary, and that's why you see uh, people in the younger generation, every other word is like. I was like, and then like, and then like, and then like, because they don't have any vocabulary. They don't read. They don't look in a dictionary. And so they can't think. You need vocabulary to think. The only reason I can't speak Spanish is because I don't have enough vocabulary to think in Spanish. And you need vocabulary to think. Well, at Barah Ministries, we study the Bible verse by verse. And we studied Romans. We studied 1 Corinthians. We studied Colossians. We studied Philemon. We studied Galatians. And every biblical letter contains valuable lessons. In 1 Corinthians, we learned about one of the most corrupt cultures in the world. Corinth is where the Romans went to cut up. It it was their equivalent of Las Vegas. They could go over there and be as immoral as they wanted to. And so we learned when we studied 1 Corinthians about a church that was filled with sins and congregation members who mistreated each other. When we studied Colossians, we learned about the Lord, and we learned that he is deity in human form, and we saw how the church handled attempts at infiltration from false teachers and false teaching, and what they did, in essence, is rejected. When we studied Philemon, we learned about forgiveness, because Philemon was a runaway slave, and Paul uh, befriended him and asked him to go back to his master. We, in Galatians, We saw what happens when false teachers and false teaching is embraced because the Colossians rejected false teachers and false teaching, but the Galatians embraced false teachers and false teaching. And when you do that, it completely corrupts you and your culture. And what we consistently asked you all through the study of Galatians is, who are your false teachers and what is their false teaching that you readily embraced because you have false teachers in your life who are teaching you certain things that could never work in a million years. Well, in Romans, we learned about the Lord's provision of the only way to be saved. So Romans is about the gospel message and about how God uh, tells us who we really are because we forget that. You know, we think we're basically good people when we are totally corrupt and would corrupt anything that we got involved in. You know, I came into the year th- saying, uh, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get sugar out of my life this year. This is going to be the year where I get sugar completely out of my life. That lasted three days. 
on the fourth day, I ate everything sweet in my house. I went through, I ate, you, you won't even, you, yeah, I can't even tell you. I ate every, every piece of candy. I just went nuts. And that's, that's the way it is for us. We make plans, and then as soon as we make plans, we sabotage the plans. But, so the, in the first three chapters of Romans, the, the Lord's going to let us know who we really are and how corrupt we are. And then he's going to talk about what he did about it. And what he did about it is agree to do everything for us. Since you can't do it, I'm going to do it. That's what the Lord says to us. What a great, amazing, and comforting thing to know that no matter how stupid we are, no matter how corrupt we are, no matter how depraved we are, that he's willing to do everything for us. And we can't handle that as human beings, really. We can't handle it that somebody uh, does stuff for us. I know that I have people that I'm generous with, and, you know, it's like, okay, well, what do you want? I don't want anything. Well, I, you got to want something. I don't want anything. I just want to be generous with you. Is that okay? Well, that's the Lord. He's just generous. And he puts himself on the line for us. And we have such a difficult time handling that because we want to help. Oh, no, you can't just get to heaven by accepting Jesus Christ. You have to, you have to, you have to, you have to, you got to, you got to, you got to. Yeah, okay, well, obviously you've been part of a religion. The you got to crowd. So here are the questions to consider whenever you begin the study of a biblical letter. Uh, there are 10 questions that when I go into studying a biblical letter, I, I want answers to. Here they are. Number one, who wrote the letter? Number two, who's the letter directed to? Number three, where do the people live who are receiving the letter? Number four, what do we know about the author of the letter? Number five, when did the author write the letter? Number six, where was the author when he wrote the letter? Number seven, what was God's purpose in getting the author to write the letter? Because really, all, all of the authors of the Bible are just writing down God's exact thoughts. God the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. And he talked to men who wrote exactly what God want, wanted written. What does God want the author to communicate to the intended audience of the letter? What is the main message of the letter? And what relevance does the letter have to our lives today? So when we study a biblical letter, those are the things we need to consider. Well, let's consider them. Let's start that way. So the first question is, who wrote the letter that we're about to study? Well, the letter was written by the Apostle Paul, who is the worst person who has ever lived, and the best believer in Christ who has ever lived. And he was directed by God the Holy Spirit to write the letter. Paul is about 50 years old at the time he wrote this, and that's 13 years before he went home to be with the Lord. He died at 63. He had been a Christian for about 25 years at the point of writing this. And you know that means that when he was 25 years old, he was on his way to Damascus to continue his killing of Christians men, women, and children, because his goal was to single-handedly wipe out the Christian church. Isn't it curious that God would select the worst person of all time to write the most important thing for New Testament believers, which is two-thirds of the New Testament? Isn't it interesting that he didn't pick 
somebody who was so wonderful. Isn't it interesting that he sent you a message by picking the worst person of all time that he doesn't need you to be amazing? So um, 25 years before, he had been knocked on, on, off of his high horse on the way to Damascus, and at that moment, he became a Christian. In some of, uh, of Paul's other New Testament epistles, Paul mentions being with other believers in Christ, like Timothy and Silas. But in this epistle, Paul doesn't mention anybody because he stands alone as the one selected by God to deliver the gospel for this dispensation, the church age, to a group of believers who are known as the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, did you know that? You're the body of Christ and Christ is the head. You are the bride of Christ. And when we are raptured, when we are plucked off the earth, there'll be a seven-year party. And that seven-year party will be an honor party for the bride of Christ. Question number two, who is Paul's letter to the Romans directed to? Now, that probably is going to be hard for you to answer, right? Well, Romans chapter 1, verse 7 makes it clear this epistle is for believers in Christ and the Christian churches at first century Rome. Romans 1.7 says this, This letter is to all of you who are the divinely loved ones of God the Father, you believers in Christ living in Rome, saints by calling. All believers in Christ are saints. Before we were saints, we were sinners. Once we believed in Christ, we became saints. The set-apart ones. What is a set-apart one? Once we believed in Christ, we were set apart for a set of privileges that would stagger the imagination, including being face-to-face with the Lord when we close our eyes in this life. Saints by calling, the set-apart ones. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. As of the writing of this letter, Paul had never been to Rome. He wanted to go, but he was prevented from going. Because Rome, like Jerusalem, was a place where you could get killed. That's K-I-L-T, which is a lot worse than being killed. K-I-L-L-E-D. Question number three. Where did the people live who are receiving this letter? I know that's going to be hard for you to answer to. They live in the largest city in Italy. They live in the capital city of Italy, Rome. In the first century, the city had nearly one million inhabitants. At the time, Rome was also the capital of the whole free world. It wasn't just the capital of Italy. Today, as the most populous city in Europe, the city houses nearly 3 million people. Question number four. What do we know about the author of the letter? Well, the author of the letter is Paul, so what do we know about him? Paul is handpicked as the Lord's chosen replacement apostle for Judas Iscariot, the apostle who betrayed the Lord. Paul describes himself in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. He says this, To me, Paul, the very least of all saints. That's not Paul being self-effacing. He was the worst person of all time and the least of all the believers. To me, Paul, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given by God. What grace? To preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, Ephesians 3, 9, and to bring to light the dispensation of the mystery. What is a mystery? It's something 
that is a code, and it's known only to the people who know the mystery. If any of you have ever been in a fraternity or sorority, you know you have these little codes, and it's a mystery, and it's only known to the people in your sorority or fraternity, but not known to the outside world. The church age, this age we're in right now, it was such a mystery because the Lord was going to give the Jews a chance to accept their Messiah. And when they rejected their Messiah, the church age was the drop-in before we finished the age of Israel. So we are a special breed of people, and the, the thing that's unusual about the church age believer is we are indwelled by the entire Trinity. So... To bring to light Paul's, Paul's mission was to bring to light the dispensation of the mystery, the church age, which for ages had been hidden in the God who created all things, the Lord, God the Son, Ephesians 3.10, so that the manifold wisdom of God the Father might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. You've always heard it said, whenever somebody dies, you know, you'll hear their relatives say, I just know my relative is looking down on me. No, they aren't. They aren't looking down on you. And that's because in heaven there's no more sorrow, no more tears. <laughs> They'd be crying if they were looking down on you. But who is looking down on us? Angels are looking down on us. Because human history is an exact duplication of angelic history. And what they're learning is why some of them are staying with God in heaven and some of them are going with Satan to the lake of fire. So the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places, that's what's being discussed, that the supreme court of heaven is in session and the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan are in a court case and human history is the reenactment of angelic history so that the members of the jury can make a decision about whether Satan's sentence to the lake of fire was fair or not. Galatians chapter 2, verse 7 announces Paul's assignment. I, Paul, was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, that's the Gentiles, just as Peter has been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, and that's the Jews. So Paul is Jewish, and he is Jewish on steroids, but he was given the job of sending, taking the gospel to the Gentiles. And that is something that for the Jews was as distasteful as having someone spit in your face. Because the Gentiles were that group, and then there were the Jews. Question next. When did the author write the letter? Paul wrote this letter about 56 A.D. The Bible closed in 90 A.D. And the letter was carried to the Christians at Rome by one of the deaconesses of the church at Centuria, as it says in Romans chapter 16, verse 1. I, Paul, commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church. And the word servant is diakonos in the Greek. Uh, we have diakonos deni, it's a deacon. But because she's female, she's a deaconess. A diakonos, meaning deaconess, which is at Centuria. So she took the letter to the churches at Rome. Now, these churches at Rome are right in the middle of a cesspool. They're right in the middle of an idol worship place. They're right in the middle of the sexual immorality place. They're right there. You are too. 
you know, when I think of you, I think of an arena being around you, and you're right in the middle of the arena. And around you is idolatry, the worship of people and things and social media. Around you is immorality. And all of those things, because you live in the world, because you live in Satan's kingdom, that whole kingdom is influencing you all the time. If you don't study the Bible, how, how, can, you, how can you counteract that influence? You just can't. And so it seeps into you and it, can, it perverts you. It sucks you into it. And that's not what the Lord wants for you. So Paul, when he wrote this letter, did I put that up? Where was the author when he wrote the letter? He was in Corinth. And Corinth is a city in south-central Greece, about 50 miles west of Athens, Greece. Next question, what was God's purpose in getting the author to write the letter? Well, the Lord commissioned Paul to introduce him to the Gentile world and to present them with the gospel message, the good news about the Lord's salvation offer. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 introduce that. It says, I, Paul, am not ashamed of the gospel of God the Father. Why not? Because the gospel is the power of God the Father for salvation to everyone who believes. What's that word? Whosoever. To the Jew first, chronologically, and also to the Greek, which is the Gentiles. Romans 1.17, for in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteousness of God the Father is revealed from faith in the Lord for salvation to faith in the Lord for everything else. As it is written, the righteous man, and the righteous man is a reference to any believer in Christ, shall live by faith. And what is faith? Faith is when you place your confidence in the object of your faith. And in this case, what believers in Christ do is they place their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. What does God want the author to communicate? to the intended audience of the letter. Well, the gospel message is that everyone is a sinner in God's eyes at the moment of physical birth. Therefore, everyone who's a sinner needs a Savior. The Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ who offers a so great salvation to all who want it, free of charge. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 say this, This is what's good and acceptable. In the sight of the God who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Timothy 2.4, who desires all men to be saved and who wants all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. So there are a lot of people that say, you know, God is condemning me. God is punishing me. God wants me to go to the lake of fire. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be saved by coming to a knowledge of the truth. Now, whether you do that or not is up to you because you have free will. You can do whatever you want because he's not going to coerce you or force you into believing in him. So the gospel message is for whosoever. Everyone can be saved by its power. Question nine, what is the main message of this letter to the Romans? It's righteousness. Righteousness is the admission ticket to heaven. When you're born, you are unrighteous. If you stay unrighteous and you die unrighteous, you're going to the lake of fire. 
And if you do that, that will be your choice because God will get you the gospel message over and over and over again. And you get to accept it or reject it. So righteousness only comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone and never by works. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 says this, Now that the one who works for salvation, his payment is not paid as if it were a gracious favor, but his payment is paid because it is what he is due. It's paid to him as what he has earned because of his work. Romans 4, 5. But to the one who does not work for salvation, who instead believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, who justifies the ungodly unbeliever. This person's faith is credited as righteousness, and righteousness is the admission ticket to heaven. I know you can't see it because you don't have a black light, but I have a plus R stenciled to my forehead. And so what does that mean? It means I have God's righteousness. Well, why did I have it? Did I earn it? Am I so wonderful and so good that I have it and you don't, na-na-na-na-boo-boo? No, it was something that was given to me as a free gift because I decided to invest my faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. Then the tenth question, what relevance does the letter to the Romans have to our lives today? Well, in Satan's kingdom, False teaching from false teachers exists to convince people that salvation is earned by their good works. I have a a kid that works for me, and he's part of the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. And so I see him about three or four times a year, and I'm always talking to him about how easy salvation is. It's faith alone in Christ alone, and he does not buy that for a second. To him, you have to earn your salvation. And there are clear differences between Christianity and Mormonism. Clear and distinct differences. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are not equal in their mind. They are three separate and distinct people, so not one God. And it's actually a satanic cult as you move up the lines. It's a a satanic cult with a family face. And if you ever want to know more about that, just get the book, The God Makers. There was a guy who was part of the Mormon religion who advanced up to the satanic ranks, and now he has a company that evangelizes to Mormons to get them to leave the Church of Jesus Christ and Latter-day Saints. But when you're around Mormons, they're, they're the, some of the nicest, most wholesome, most wonderful people you'd ever want to meet. They have no idea what's going on at the top of their organization. So in Satan's kingdom, false teaching from false teachers exists to convince people that salvation is earned by their good works. Satan's strategy against the human race is religion which deceives people into thinking they can save themselves by being basically good people and by giving back. The Lord's gospel message sent through Paul is quite different. It says there are no good people, so salvation is a free gift through the grace of God to anyone who wants it. The worse you are, the better. Thank God, Sean, huh? And with no request. <laughs> One of my buddies, Sean, is here today, so, you know, he didn't think it was coming, but 
He, he, he had to know. He had to know the shot was coming at some point. <laughs> but with no requirements on anyone's part except to believe in Christ. Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this. There's salvation in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved except the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does the Lord work in mysterious ways? No. If he worked in mysterious ways, he'd let you figure that out. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Crystal clear. Everything God does is done in ones. There is one God, one baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one church, Christianity, one. Satan doesn't work like that. See, Satan's a deceiver, so he's got all these religions, and he say, what do you want, man? You want this? You want that? You want this? You want that? But as human history starts to come to a close, he brings all of those religions together into one and says, you worship me or you die. That's the kind of tyrant he is. Well, when we return from the break, we'll take the offering, and then we'll look at the first passage of the letter to the Romans where the Apostle Paul introduces himself and provides his credentials to the believers in Christ at Rome. Take a five-minute break. Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life I've been told I belong at the end of the line. With all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. But it turns out they're the ones you were looking for all this time Cause I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world to see Nobody but Jesus for the world to see Nobody but Jesus Moses had stage fright And David brought a rock to a sword fight You picked 12 outsiders Nobody would have chosen And you changed the world Well, the moral of the story is Everybody's got a purpose So when I hear that devil Start talking to me Saying, who do you think you are? I say
Welcome back. Today's Bible lesson, an introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. An introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. Well, Christians are to follow the Lord's example in everything, especially in giving. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, God the Father loved the world unconditionally, and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son. So whenever we hear about the Lord, we're always hearing about what he gave, not ever what he took. What are you willing to give to the God who gave his son's life for you? Giving is a form of worship. Giving expresses your faith in God. Giving communicates your gratitude to God for all he does for you. 
What's the best time for Christians to give? There must never be a time when we don't give. Everything we have comes from God. And when we give, we are simply redirecting the resources God has given us to his purposes. Don't worry about the amount you give. God will return it to you more than abundantly. Let your giving rival God's giving and watch what flows into your life. Watch what flows into your account. Give something, give anything, and give now, and keep on giving. If you're listening to Barah Ministries, support Barah Ministries. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. Good morning. Good morning. I think it's okay. Might turn, take mine down just a little bit. Okay, perfect. You still hear me? Crank it up just a little bit. You gotta go up. It should be at five, but if that's a little loud, you can come down. Anyway, whoa, come down. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon at Broad Ministries. I'm blessed because. At Bra Ministries, we know, we know who Christ is. We know that he is God. We know that he's the greatest gift of all. It's still a little loud. Can you hear that? Yeah. All right, cool. And he's the greatest gift of all, the greatest gift in, in the world. And that's actually how we explain Christmas to our kids because they see all this gift giving and Santa and the presents and stuff. And we explain to them that they, this is a symbolizes Jesus because he's the greatest gift that was ever given when he was born. And this is something we've always taught them. And I know they've ruined a couple people's, um, couple families' traditions with Santa because they've told them the truth. But I think in the long run, it'll, it'll serve them well. <laughs> but we taught them, you know, that with, with God and with the greatest gift, we have eternal life. And we have his word, his church, and his family for us. And I was thinking about some other things as him being the greatest gift. You know, God arrived in swaddling clothes, swaddling cloth, I should say. Some probably the cheapest stuff you could ever wrap something in. He wasn't high maintenance, no shiny bows, no wrapping paper, no ribbons, just swaddling cloth, simple, low maintenance. And you think about Jesus, he's the gift that keeps on giving because of eternal life, no returns, no expiration date, that's ours forever. And you think about Jesus, he's the one that turned water into wine. What a great gift. (laughs) No receipt needed. So as we approach, you know, this new year, let's remember that we still, that Jesus is the greatest gift. I feel like Christmas passes and people put, take down their lights and we forget about Jesus and we forget about the reason for the season. And so when you give it the offering, you're allowing people to get to know who Christ is, that he is the greatest gift, to know of his word, his church, and be part of a family. So thank you for always giving. And we see in Romans chapter 6, for the earned wages of sin, the compensation paid for your sinful works is the second death in the lake of fire, but the free and gracious gift of God the Father is eternal life in union with Christ Jesus our Lord. The gracious gift of God the Father is eternal life in union with Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what we always need to remember each year and each day. So thank you for giving, and let's, let's make the whole world aware of that fact by giving to Bra Ministries. Hit it, Denise.
Thank you, Deacon Denny, for a great message. Today's Bible lesson, an introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. An introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. By the way, those swaddling cloths that you were talking about, Deacon Denny, sparangana in the Greek, are the cloths that are used to wrap a mangled corpse. So if you've ever been to a natural history museum and you see a mummy, those are sparangana, and that's what Jesus was wrapped in. But the way the, they always put it in the songs, oh, the swaddling clothes, oh, the little baby and the little snuggly stuff, that's not what was true. Well, an introduction to Paul's epistle to the Romans. So what is the structure of Paul's letter to the Romans? And it's 16 chapters that lay out this way. Romans chapter, chapters 1 to 3 talk about the depravity of man. And the depravity of man incurs the wrath of God. So you are born sinners. And if you remain sinners at your physical death, you will incur the wrath of God the Father. Why? Because you decided to handle the wrath of God the Father yourself rather than letting Jesus handle it for you. So Romans chapters 1 to 3 is an indictment against the entire human race. It's an accusation about who we really are as totally depraved people who are unable to save themselves. Romans chapters 4 to 8 talk about God's grace to save all who want deliverance from that sinful condition. And Romans 3.20 is where the transition happens. But now, the grace of God, the righteousness that comes from God, are, is given to the whole human race. And chapters 4 to 8 then expound on that. Romans chapters 9 to 11 address an interesting subject. God still has a plan for the Jews. Although the Jews have been set aside for a time to usher in this church age because they rejected their Messiah, and not all Jews rejected their Messiah. Actually, is a group called the Messianic Jews who are Jewish and Christian. But generally speaking, most of the Jewish race has rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They see him just as a man or as a rabbi or as a really good teacher, but not as who he is, which is the Jewish Messiah. By the way, if you've ever uh, seen those Lerner and Rowe uh, commercials. Learner and Row is a place to call. Go call four nine seven seven one nine four zero. Whatever it is, but anyway, Learner is Jewish, but he is also a Christian. And I sat next to him one day on a plane, and he was evangelizing to me, and I was kind of chuckling about it because here was this Jewish guy evangelizing to me, and he told me his whole story about how he was a maggot, but he married a Christian, and she showed him the light. And there's nothing that warms my heart more than when Jewish people become Christians. And then Romans chapters 12 to 16 is God expressing his will for the human race. And it's a series of do's and don'ts. Not as do's and don'ts for rules that if you don't do this, I'm going to be mad. But if you want your life to work, there are some things you should do and there's some things you should not do. And he lays all those out in Romans chapters 12 to 16. Well, let's look, take a look at the first passage of this amazing letter, Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, 
And I'll just go through what we ought to know about each verse as we go through, rather than reading the section and then going through the verses. All right, so let's start at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is written by me, Paul, a bondservant and voluntary slave of Jesus Christ. And a bondservant is a doulos, somebody who's in 24 hours, seven day, days a week service to a master. And he points out here that it was voluntary, not coerced. So this letter is written by me, Paul, a bondservant and voluntary slave of Christ Jesus, by calling an apostle. I have a calling called the gift of pastor-teacher. God gave me that gift at the moment of salvation, and he called me to use it, and I said yes. There are a lot of people who have that same gift and are called to use it, and they say no. So this letter is written by me, Paul, a bondservant and voluntary slave of Christ Jesus, by calling an apostle. And an apostle, the requirement for being an apostle is you had to see the resurrected Christ with your own eyes. And set apart by God the Father for the dissemination of the gospel message of God the Father to the Gentiles as a minister. So Paul is telling us the same thing that Father Kavanaugh told us in the movie Rudy. If you remember, he was the priest. And he said to Rudy, there is a God and I am not him. He said, Rudy, there are only two things that I'm absolutely sure of since I became a Catholic priest. There is a God, and I am not him. And it's actually, technically, I am not he, but, you know, he's, he wasn't an English teacher, obviously. Well, Paul is given the spiritual gift of apostle. He's called by God, set apart by God, sent forth by God as a benefactor for the saints at Rome and for all saints throughout human history. One of the things that's always funny to me is that people, when they get into a church, they want the pastor to be this guy up there that they can worship because they want to worship somebody they can see. And then they figure out that the pastor is just a human being and they get all disillusioned and then they leave the church. But then as they go to the new church, they study with the most depraved person that has ever existed, which is the Apostle Paul. It's like, why don't they reject the Bible? Because all of the guys who were in the Bible were worse than any pastor you could ever meet. Moses killed a guy. David had sex with his best friend's wife and then put him on the front lines to be killed. And, you know, we can just go through the whole Bible and everybody in there is depraved in some way. And so this is what legalism is all about. Legalism is where you look and point at everybody else's flaws and refuse to look in the mirror and see your own. James talked about that. You know, you go in front of the mirror and you see your natural face. You see who you really are. And then when you walk away from the mirror, you forget what you saw. So Paul is not God. But he's a benefactor sent by God, a quite imperfect man who did a perfect thing, and that is write two-thirds of the New Testament. Well, we're studying the same letter that has been studied by countless Christians before us. As a matter of fact, back when pastors used the physical Bible, and we don't do that anymore. I mean, I got this beautiful physical Bible, and it looks like it just came out of the box. 
because we, we just don't open the Bible anymore. Now that we have an electronic Bible, we get to be extremely lazy and we just put in Romans 12.2 and it pops up like that. We don't have to turn the pages. But in the old days, mo most of the people said, I can tell you all about your pastor by looking at his Bible. And if the most crinkled pages in that Bible are in the, in the letter to the Romans, you know you've got a good pastor on your hands. Because this letter is the letter in the New Testament. And Christians who haven't studied Romans, you can always tell who they are because they especially didn't study the first three chapters of Romans that tell us who we are as human beings. And I remember when I studied those first three chapters for the first time and I just sat there like, well, if I'm this bad, I'm doomed. And then all of a sudden, chapters 4 to 8 say, no, you're not doomed. You just need to count on somebody other than yourself, and that's Jesus Christ, which is something that was a pleasure to do. So Romans chapter 1, verse 2. And this is the gospel message that God the Father promised beforehand to the human race through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures of the Old Testament. This is the gospel message that God the Father promised beforehand to the human race through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures of the Old Testament. Jesus didn't just drop in on us. In several places in the Old Testament, the Lord's coming and his impact was predicted. In Genesis 3, it highlights his virgin birth with a promise that Jesus will crush Satan's head. Isaiah 53 highlights the suffering the Lord would go through on the cross for us. Psalm 22 highlights his crucifixion. Isaiah 9 identifies Christ as Almighty God. Romans chapter 1, verse 3, a gospel message concerning God the Father's Son, the Lord, who was born of a descendant of David. Mary was a descendant of David. Joseph was a descendant of David, according to the flesh as true humanity. This one whose name is Jesus Christ. The gospel message is the Lord's salvation offer to the human race. Romans chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And Jesus Christ was declared the Son of God with divine power by means of his resurrection from the dead. That's what separates Jesus from everybody else. You want to say he's a rabbi and a good teacher and a man? How many rabbis and good teachers and men do you know that were resurrected from the dead under their own power? And Jesus was declared the Son of God with divine power by means of his resurrection from the dead, accomplished through the enabling power of the God who is the Spirit of holiness, God the Holy Spirit. We're talking about this Jesus Christ, our Lord, God the Son, Romans 1.5, through whom I, Paul, have received from God the Father both grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among the Gentiles, for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ's person. What you'll see over and over again in the book of Romans, almost 200 times, is the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ is God, and this letter is about him. The Lord Jesus Christ is the God-man. He is 100% God and 100% true humanity, just like you and me, in one person forever. Romans chapter 1, verse 6. Among whom you saints in Rome, as believers in Christ, also are the possession of Jesus Christ by calling. Paul is writing to the children of God, believers in Christ, 
We are, as believers in Christ, owned by God. We are his possessions. Romans 1.7. And this letter is written to all of you who are the divinely loved ones of God the Father. You'll see the word beloved over and over in the Bible. What does beloved mean? It means the divinely loved ones. You are divinely loved unconditionally by an unconditionally God. Unconditional God who forgives you totally who has never been disappointed with you, who will never fail you or forsake you or leave you, no matter what you do, no matter how you are. You don't have anybody else in your life that's like that. The people who are closest to you don't even like you on that level. So this letter is written to all of you who are the divinely loved ones of God the Father, you believers in Christ living in Rome, saints by calling, the set-apart ones, grace to you and peace, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Most people in Rome were atheists. It was a polytheistic culture. They believed in many gods, Zeus and company. They worshipped idols and created them, sort of like going to Asia and you go and see all these Buddhist temples and they've got these gold figurines that they worship. Or here in the United States, if you go into any uh, manicure shop, if they're owned by Vietnamese, they will have their little Buddhist temple there. And uh, the one I went into the other day, they've got apples set up. I don't know what the significance of that is. And they have a little cat, you know, who's waving his arm. And this is for money, and uh, the left arm is for money, and the right arm is for more customers. <laughs> I do. I spent way too much time teaching in Asia. And the curious me learned all about it. I, I went into a temple where there was the largest lying Buddha in Thailand. And you had to take your shoes off and you had to get down on your knees and bow down. And I did exactly what their custom is. But I was talking to Jesus Christ the whole time and praying to him that none of this rubbed off on me. So um, they counted on the natural order of things in Rome. But Christians, we are a monotheistic culture. We have one and only one God. We are an aniconic culture. We are completely against idols. And we are a supernatural group, not a natural group. Christianity is not a religion. Let me repeat that. Christianity is not a religion. And religion always wants to drag Christianity into it so it can muddy Christianity up and say, well, Christianity's no different than us. Yeah, want to bet? Christianity says you don't have to do anything to be saved. Is that what you're saying? No, you're not saying that. You said you got to do this and that and this and that and this and that. Otherwise, you're going to hell. Okay, well, if I do all that stuff, am I going to heaven? Well, I mean, maybe. I don't want that. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Christ. And so it always tickles me when people say, well, I'm a Lutheran. So you worship Martin Luther? No, I'm a Christian. Well, Christianity is Christ. So wait, are you a Lutheran or are you a Christian? I'm a Baptist. Well, who do you worship, John the Baptist? I'm a Roman Catholic. Well, who do you worship, the Pope? And by the way, did you know that the Jesus Christ of Roman Catholicism is a counterfeit? Did you know that? Have you studied your catechism enough to know that? So, thank you, Paul, for this brief introduction. 
And this first seven verses of Romans is a salutation in a letter. Letters typically begin with a salutation in this, the hey, what's up to the, to the Christians at Rome. And we look forward to hearing what God the Holy Spirit has to say to us through you, Apostle Paul, in this thought-provoking and life-changing letter. <laughs> is it right. well the closing moments of this lesson could be the ten most important minutes of your life you'll be introduced to the good news concerning how you can spend all eternity in heaven when you close your eyes in this life that takes about 60 seconds and one decision we want you to know that God wants you and what God wants for you is for you to make the most important decision of your life. Well, when food manufacturers noticed your fast-paced mobile lifestyle, they created instant food. Instant coffee, instant oatmeal, instant potatoes, instant TV dinners, and instant gravy were among their initial culinary creations. And most of them were awful. This message is for you if you want an instant relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be wondering what's going to happen the instant you close your eyes in this life. There is an instant answer to your curiosity. And the Lord Jesus Christ guarantees that in an instant you can become a child of God. You may not know your unfortunate circumstance at the moment of your physical birth. It's called spiritual death. You were born physically alive and spiritually dead as an ungodly, unrighteous unbeliever. It's not your fault, but it is your circumstance. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22 says, All in union with Adam at physical birth, and that's every human being who comes to earth, are set to die the second death in the lake of fire. There are a lot of people walking around the world today who don't know that because they've never bothered to investigate it. Because Adam, was appointed by God as the federal head of the human race, his first sin was credited to the account of all human creatures, resulting in spiritual death for all human creatures. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man, Adam, sin entered the world, and spiritual death entered the world through Adam's sin, so spiritual death spread to all men, because all men were considered by God to have sinned when Adam sinned. In addition, just so you don't have Adam to blame, you commit personal sins. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, There's no creature who's righteous, not even one. Adam's sin credited to you, plus your own personal sins, create an insurmountable barrier between you and God. But despite this unfortunate circumstance, despite this bad news, there is good news from God that instantly frees you from the negative effects of sin, from spiritual death, and from the kingdom of darkness into which you were born. You're invited to be born again, the spiritual birth, into a spiritual life 
in God's kingdom of light, where sin is no longer sovereign over you. The Lord Jesus Christ offers you a so great salvation, and it is his will that you accept the free gift he made possible for you at the cross. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow about his promise of salvation, as some accuse him of. Instead, he's patient toward unbelievers, not wishing for any to perish in the lake of fire, but wishing for all unbelievers to come to repentance, which is a voluntary change of mind about having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you end up in the lake of fire at the instant of your physical death, it will not be because the Lord wants you there. It'll be your choice. So how can you get to heaven in an instant when you close your eyes in this life? By obeying God's plan for your salvation right where you sit right now. You can be saved in an instant. You can tell God the Father you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is the instant of eternal life for you. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved by God, you and everyone in your household who also believe. To believe means to accept God's word for what it takes to be saved. And God says the only way, the one way, the only way to be saved is to, uh, is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, verse 6 says this, Jesus said to the doubting apostle Thomas, I am the way to salvation. I am the truth through the gospel message and the word of God. And I am the resurrection life, eternal life. And no one comes to God the Father in heaven but through believing in me. Who is this God who saves you? The Apostle Paul describes the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, the Apostle Paul, deliver to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received directly from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, 1 Corinthians 15, 4, and that he was buried and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. The Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead proved that he is deity and it qualified him to save you. Believing in Jesus Christ is your acknowledgement that you can't do a thing to get to heaven on your own. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't good deed your way into heaven. You can't be a good person and get to heaven. You can only get to heaven by accepting the instant gift of salvation from a God who loves you so unconditionally that he sent his son to die for you on a cross to pay your way into heaven. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind and that while we were yet sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. God has an enemy, Satan, who deceives the whole world, including you, with a strategy to exploit human beings called religion. The religions of the world deceive you into thinking that you can work your way to heaven, that you can work to please God. But I guarantee you this, no religious ritual has ever been good enough to get you to heaven. So it's wise to let God save you because when God does something, he never changes his mind. John chapter 10, verse 28 says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give eternal life to believers in Christ and they will never perish and no one 
will snatch them out of my hand. You can't lose your salvation. And if anyone says you can, they're lying to you. There's no reason to be uncertain about what happens at the moment of your physical death. So accept the invitation and heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. It says, He who believes in the Son has the resurrection life right at that moment, in an instant. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. When you reject a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible makes it clear that there is a consequence. Matthew chapter 13, verses 40 to 42 say this. Just as tares are gathered up and burned with fire, so shall it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, will send forth his elect angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks, that's unbelievers, and those who practice lawlessness, that's unbelievers, and the elect angels will throw unbelievers into the furnace of fire, the lake of fire, and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. There are going to be a lot of good people in the lake of fire who thought they were worshiping the Lord and they weren't. There are going to be a lot of good people in the lake of fire wondering how they got here. There are going to be a lot of people who are completely upset because they had believers in Christ in their periphery telling them the gospel message over and over again, and they were rejecting it. But believers in Christ have a different fate. Matthew chapter 13, verse 43 says, Then the righteous, and the righteous is a reference to believers in Christ. We're righteous because God gave it to us at the moment of salvation. There's nothing special about us. The righteous will shine forth as the sun shines in the kingdom of their God and Father. So what's your choice? Are you for or against Christ? That's the choice you have to make. A relationship with the Lord does not require blind faith. As a matter of fact, there's no such thing as blind faith because for the wise, faith is always invested only after examination. You have faith as a gift from God and you can place your confidence in the object of your faith to place your confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and to let him save you is a delicious move. You can reject a relationship with Christ or you can make an instant choice for Christ and the result, your salvation, stands finished forever. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 encourages us. He who has ears, let him really hear these things. Some instant things are quite tasty. Take a moment right now to wrap your mind around the only instant thing that lasts forever, a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, let's close with music. Here's what the Lord said to a self-righteous Pharisee, Nicodemus, in John chapter 3, verse 3. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless you are born again to spiritual birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God the Father in heaven. You've heard Christians called those born-agains. People have said that to me. Are you one of those born-agains? Yeah, I am. But you don't have to say it twice, because if we're Christians, we're born again. But maybe you didn't know what it means. When you are born again, you have gone from spiritual death to spiritual life, courtesy of the Lord's grace. 
Well, here's June Murphy to sing about it in her song, Born Again. Was blind, but now I see. Once under condemnation, now I have been redeemed. Once in the dark, now in the light, because I have believed in the death and resurrection of the Christ who set me free. Father's mighty hand I know I've been forgiven Of each and every sin Because I have believed in Christ Who died and rose again I have been born again Born again I'm a new creation Born again Old things have passed away New things have come to stay I am in God's holy nation I've said yes to God's salvation
sweet, one of June's evangelism songs. I called her yesterday and sang that song to her, and she said, you know, you sing that song so well, I should just take my recording down off the website and put yours up there. And I said, no, nah, June. <laughs> no, nah, June, I just couldn't do that. I couldn't do that to you. But, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I should do that. But <laughs> Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, thank you for Bible lessons, which help us look into the mirror of the Word of God to see who we really are. And when we see, we're totally depraved. Thank you for doing something about it whenever we ask you to help. Thankfully, you offer your own righteousness as a free gift to lift us out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. As we go forth into the week, give us spiritual eyes to see and spiritual ears to hear. Help us see you in every one of our life circumstances, and show us how to follow God the Holy Spirit's guidance in every single thing we do, so as believers in Christ, we can be a perfect reflection of you and your will for the entire human race, and so we can communicate your gospel message to a lost and dying world. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Well, discussing the lesson in prayer circle will resume next week. Got biblical questions? Ask the pastor. Please, please, please ask the pastor. And remember this year to study the Word of God daily. Thanks for coming, thanks for watching, and thanks for listening.